Welcome back, everyone, to Border Alpha Podcast. We're lucky to be um, greeted again with Nicola DeMassi, who's um, from DMY Technology. Today, we're going to talk about IonQ, who's going public uh, via merger with DMY Technology 3 uh, and a $1.4 billion deal announced uh, last March. Nicola, thanks again for, for joining us today. Great pleasure to be here again. So for the, for the newbies out there, including myself, can you talk to me a little bit about IonQ and what exactly it means to be you know, a pure play quantum computing company and why it's such a compelling business um, that, that you guys targeted? Yeah, so I'm actually a physicist uh, originally, believe it or not. My uh, undergrad and graduate degrees are both from Cambridge University uh, in physics. And um, though I, you know, I'm not still in the field, I've been following quantum computing for, for over 20 years, um, almost 25 years, believe it or not. Um, and I'd say that, you know, in the mid 90s, this was sort of a quasi theoretical postulation. Um, and when I, you know, left the field uh, as a full-time physicist, I, I was, you know, I was a little short on how long it was gonna take for quantum computing to actually solve real world problems um, and, and make the splash that, that Richard Feynman had postulated, you know, as far back as the 70s, this could be possible. Um, and I was right, by the way, for, for kind of all of the 2000s. Um, what happened about six years ago is that a lot of venture capital flowed into the space and a fair amount of competition started to creep in. And so universities started spinning off companies. Um, there are businesses like INQ where the founders, you know, Dr. Chris Monroe and Dr. Jung-Sung Kim have been have been leaders in the space since the mid nineties. Um, Chris Monroe has probably written more papers than anyone in the space. He's shown the empirical underpinnings of quantum computing for decades. He's been thinking about commercializing it for long anybody else. Um, so when I, you know, when I started double clicking um, as a SPAC sponsor a few years ago on what the status of, of quantum computing is, I was really delighted to see that there were businesses, you know, at Honeywell, at IBM, um, and there were a number of you know, third-party startups that also had been able to raise money successfully and shown some really promising technological milestones. Um, I, I've said for years that I wanted to get back involved uh, you know, in kind of my roots in the physics space um, when quantum computing was kind of ready for prime time because it's such a tremendously powerful technological leap that it is not an exaggeration to say that the 21st century will be you know, largely dominated by what happens uh, in quantum computing. Um, and the reason for this is that there, isn't, there really isn't an aspect of applied science that is not impacted by quantum computing. Whether or not you're trying to design better airplanes, whether or not you're trying to figure out you know, logistical optimization, trying to build you know, dr dr drug discovery and that supply chain more effectively, um, whether or not you're thinking about cryptography uh, and you know, cracking and making new codes, um, whether you think about you know, financial services, proprietary trading, options pricing, machine learning, all of this is aided by quantum computing. And it is so exponential once it gets going that I believe the old adage that you know, people uh, overestimate change in the next you know, 10 months, mm -hmm. but they underestimate in 10 years, this one will be the greatest proof point of that sentence the world's ever seen. Um, you know, 10 years from today, you know, 2031, we will have cracked Shor's algorithm, the traveling salesperson problem, and almost every aspect of physical science that involves a quantum mechanism like solar cells through to biology can be better modeled 
by a quantum computer because it is a quantum process. Um, what people don't tend to realize yet, uh, or some do, and they are buying our stock because they work this out, is quantum computers don't obey Moore's law when you improve them. They're exponentially faster in their power improvements. And the reason for that is you're, you're effectively taking two to the power of the number of logical qubits you have to understand how powerful a quantum computer is. So a two to the 16 computer is twice as good if it's two to the 17. Mm -hmm. And we can move forward at INQ, a roadmap where you're adding a lot more than one qubit every year, right? We're trying to add, you know, dozens of qubits in some cases per year. And, and so what's gonna happen is, you know, when we, when, as soon as we get to 30, 40 logical qubits, and right now we're, you know, in the low tens, you know, 10 to 20, somewhere in that zone. Once we get 30 to 40, we will be able to solve all sorts of uh, financial services algorithms for things like options pricing, for portfolio theory, um, you know, machine learning, hybrid classical and quantum machine learning will be applicable across the digital ecosystem from things like optimizing advertising through to, of course, prop trading. And, you know, the, the CEOs and businesses that have taken a bet in the pipe on INQ realized earlier this year that when you have long lead time development cycles, you know, fighter jets can take 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Um, or when you have a business that's solving something like the traveling salesperson problem for FedEx, UPS, Amazon, Walmart, will give you a, call it a million dollar a day EBITDA advantage. You can't afford to be the company that got left in the dust by a year. Because if you run on last year's machine and the newest machine is two to the power, whatever, 10 or 20 more powerful, like it's as if you don't exist. As I always like to put it, if you're that prop trading bank, you will make no money that year, right? Because the other guys will crush you like a bug with two to the 10 more computing power. And that's true across the ecosystem, right? And so this won't be upon us in 2021 or 2022. But in 2024 and 2025 and 2026, I think people will, will be pretty, some of them will be panicking, right? And all of a sudden, you know, just like you have companies that are asking, what your renewable energy strategy is? What is your EV strategy? I mean, that wasn't in the car. Like if you were a car manufacturer five years ago, that wasn't really a thing. Nah. <laughs> and now Tesla is a $700 billion market cap company. And like, it's a thing, yeah. right? Like you're not the CEO of any car company without an answer to that question. Five years from today, mark my words, every Fortune 100 company will be asked that question. What is your quantum strategy? Right. No matter who you are. Yeah. Um, I mean, your enthusiasm for the space almost answers this next question on its own. Um, but just as an investor, right? So, 1.4 billion valuation. Um, obviously, there doesn't seem to be a direct comp out there. How can I think about you know that valuation in context as a as a shareholder here? Yeah. Well, let me start with the strategic value. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. There are a number of trillion dollar or near trillion dollar or even just hundred billion dollar market cap companies, right? Who I think are gonna realize soon, if they haven't already, that the future of the cloud and the future of their business relies upon not being a laggard in the quantum computing space, right? Um, and the strategic value, if you, if you support, and there's a number of companies that have 
500 billion, I would argue, to $1.5 trillion of value and their market cap supported by cloud computing. <laughs> it, it, you know, 1% of that market cap or that's supported, right, is, is a $10 billion number. And so it's hard for me not to believe that INQ is worth those sorts of amounts in just purely strategic takeout value to make sure that you don't either get shut out or to make sure that you can threaten to shut out other people. That's my first point. Um, and so you're immediately in the ballpark of businesses like Arm that SoftBank has owned and now NVIDIA's going to own. I mean, these are businesses that are worth $40 billion, but, you know, when it sold the first time, might have been $20 billion, whatever. I mean, but I think, you know, it's not, it doesn't take much of a leap to see. And that, by the way, that was an IP licensing company. Yeah. Arm is an IP licensing company for chip design. Um, our, our business has even more pricing power because what people don't seem to realize is the cloud has changed everything. And IonQ is the first company that is connected to the Amazon, Google, and Microsoft cloud. So they've done their diligence and they've thought about who the winner might be. And we announced this. And you know, some people have worked this out and some people haven't worked this out, but like that's a really big endorsement. Right. When three trillion dollar companies are like, yeah, they all, by the way, they all have their own quantum initiative yeah. internally but they just know that it's five or 10 years behind, right? Right, And so we've turned on access to the last generation of INQ hardware through the cloud. Um, we're gonna debate how we throttle pricing for the next generation, the next generation, because at the end of the day, we have the hardware, we have the PhD, we have the technology, um, and our ability to rent that hardware to what I call high value, low utilization tasks, is how we're going to make sure that we, you know, outperform our revenue forecast every year. Right. And we've just done that for the first year, but our goal is to do the same thing every year. Right. So if I can run a problem solve for you, like the traveling salesperson problem, which is a few years away, I mean, that might be late 2020s, not mid 2020s, because it takes a thousand qubits out of the qubits. Um, but if I can run that every day for you in 30 minutes, right, and save you half a million to a million dollars a day of, you know, routing logistics money. Um, it's pretty valuable, right? You're going to give me a, a carry on the money I can save you. If I can optimize your ad placements, optimize your Amazon Prime signups, optimize your whatever it is in digital shopping, e-commerce, or even gaming, you know, what is that worth? Would you, would you give me 10% or 20% of those gains? Some people will, right? We'll get that, right? Because it's an, an optimization you won't have otherwise. And so when you're a price giver, and you need to have access to our new hardware every year. Otherwise, you get shut out and you lose a bunch of EBITDA. You know, it makes for a really strategically interesting business, right? right? Um, and so I, when I walk back from that, and I go like, we have strategic value at all times. We have pricing power at all times. We're kind of like the ultimate SaaS company. Like, if you don't subscribe, we're not going to prioritize your tasks next year. If you don't subscribe, we may not run your problem solving. We may run a competitor's. Right. Right. Um, it's really powerful. And the landscape of quantum computing competitors, just by by way, you know, the only serious competition out there is focused on the 2030 battle, not the 2025 battle. And so there are companies out there that I won't name who tell us that they're going to be amazing in 2028, 2030. And this is what I say to them. As a student of history and history and technology markets, I don't know really any competitors that, that lose for 10 years. Um, and don't squander the opportunity for somebody else to run a roll-up and a consolidation play 
to buy that technology when I have all the customers, all the credit, all the go-to-market function. And by the way, everyone who doesn't have an ion trap technology mm-hmm. for quantum computing tends to agree that ion traps are commercializing first. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Nobody knows who's going to win the 100,000, let alone the million algorithmic cubic battle. But ion traps are probably going to be winning up to 50,000 and probably even 500,000. But I'll just sort of say this for boardroom alpha's sake. Nobody knows on this earth at the moment what you do with more than 5,000 algorithmic qubits because that cracks, right? That lets you run Shor's algorithm and crack things like RSA, which is the fundamental underpinning of banking, online banking, online e-commerce, financial markets, you name it. They all run on factoring two big prime numbers. And RSA running with 5,000 out of the qubits, like you can unwind factoring prime numbers quickly, like 30 minutes kind of thing, because it has more permutations, two to the power of 5,000 per clock tick than like all of the molecules in the universe or something nuts like that, right? So it's kind of silly to me for someone to say like, you know, when I have 50,000 or 500,000 or a million qubits, I'll be better because like, we don't know what to do with more than 5,000. There's no algorithm that's been postulated that needs more than 5,000 or 10,000 qubits. We will need quantum computers to figure out what to, what to do with more algorithmic qubits, right? And so humanity will take a massive leap forward in the next, you know, in a decade, in the next five to 10 years, because our quantum computing power will enable breakthroughs in drug discovery and how we look at things like photovoltaic cells and the efficiency of solar cells, right? The world's totally different when, you know, things like these COVID vaccines happen not in six or 12, 18 months, but six days right. or six weeks. Um, you know, it's like the commercial trials will be the slowdown. It won't be the drug discovery. Um, you know, when solar cells are 40, 50, 60, 70, 80% efficient, I mean, photosynthesis is like a 70, 80% efficient process. And the most powerful solar cells are 20, right? It changes the world in a stroke if, if solar cells are three times more efficient. Carbon sequestration, batteries for, for electronic vehicles. What if you can run 2,000 miles without charging, right? What if you can outperform other things? And we can, and we can solve this. It's hard right. to fathom, but it's uh, phenomenal. Well, Hyundai, Hyundai is an investor in the pipe for INQ, and you can imagine these are the kinds of things they might be thinking about for their EV strategy. Right. Um, and I was going to say on on your future bookings, you know, first, congratulations on on, on the awesome numbers today. Um, sort of what what does that pipeline look like in, in, in the next few years? And and you do mention you know, you have, you're on Microsoft and, and Amazon Cloud. Um, what does your customer pipeline look like in, in, in the next few years? Well, I, look, I, I don't want to steal anybody's thunder, right? So <laughs> our, our, our company is hard at work putting announcements up and they've put a number of announcements up. Um, you know, it's safe to probably assume they're working on more, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they've all, we've only been announced since, you know, March and it's September. So we've had a, about six months. And so I would be, you know, unsurprised if in the next six months, they, or in the next six weeks or even the next six days, they have, you know, have more to say. Um, because, you know, they've been prolifically able to gain traction as being, you know, not only a credible company that has capital behind them and public market credibility, but it's an outright validation of their technical leadership, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It's tangible. We can do stuff now. Um, I think people recognize that, you know, quantum computing is so broadly applicable that it's sort of hard to find any companies in the Fortune 500 that don't need to have this. 
right? And so, you know, it's like, if you can take a million dollars off of the average Fortune 500 company a year, we're a pretty, pretty big business, right? And, you know, on our pipe forecast is like half that number in five yeah. years. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not, I'm not going to say it's undemanding, but we've shown the first year is undemanding. We hope to show that every year is equally undemanding. Right. Um, which bring, brings me to my last question, just given, you know, the, the technical dynamics of, you know, where SPAC's currently at and, you know, what has been happening um, at, at SPAC merger votes. So given like rising redemption levels across other SPAC deals that we've seen, you know, in the event that, that, that you recognize a higher than anticipated um, redemption scenario, how, how are you guys thinking about, you know, the pro forma capitalization of the company um, in, in those scenarios? Well, we, we have business plans that are fully underwritten by the pipe mm. to start with. Um, so that's pretty helpful, right? Um, secondly, you know, I think if you look at people on that leadership page where I said, you know, look at the top 10, 12, even 15 firms that have driven post-performance, post-back IPO listing performance, none of those people have had crazy redemptions. I mean, sure, double digits, but, you know, there are, there are people out there with full redemption, right? <laughs> right. So I, I think it's safe to say that, you know, all of our companies have business plans that the, the pipe capital allows them to deliver on. If they get more than the pipe capital, it's kind of gravy. Um, I also would like to believe, uh, and I do, that the investors in our transactions um, have seen the returns we've put up. They've seen the fundamental performance. Uh, and they want to see this company, each one of our companies perform in the, in the earnings calls post close. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that ultimately, you know, that they have every reason, and every right to believe that based on our track record on the first three. Um, you know, I, I do think as people cycle out of other SPACs, the flight to quality means that they're going to increasingly differentiate and they're going to increasingly look for, you know, hold periods and returns that are in lockstep. Right. So by all means, hold DMY for 12, 18, 24 months. If you do that, look at the returns you've gotten 50%, not 5% or hundred percent in some cases. Right. Um, and so, you know, we expect some redemptions on SPAC three and four. We had zero on one and two. I expect to have some, but you know, we're cautiously optimistic that it will be highly moderated. Right. It will be only people whose funds have been so injured by other investments that they, you know, been told there's no choice because they're over levered or something. Right. It's not going to be people that have a choice. Right, right. Um, interesting. Very, very helpful. Um, cool. And any, anything, any last you know, parting words um, that you'd like shareholders to know ahead ahead of the vote? for? for, for well, look, my parting words are, if you ever want to make an investment, you can close your eyes on, right? And, and, and come back and, and leave for your children and grandchildren. It's probably quantum computing, right? You know, it's, it's kind of a no, it's a no-lose investment. It's also of the time horizon. Right. Um, people before this morning, I think people, you know, could sit on the side sidelines and say, well, it might be too early, but if you can be guidance by 200%, you know, maybe we can keep doing that. Right. And the reality is, uh, I think that's the kind of performance in the public markets that people sit up and take note of. And it's a big answer to the question. Is it too early? We've just answered that. Like, no, we can deliver revenue and outperform, you know, guidance. And, and we intend to continue to do that. Um, all of our companies, by the way, you know, I think passed the Warren Buffett test of like, close your eyes and come back three, five, seven, 10 years later, where will the business be? They all have great moats. They have great secular growers, regardless of what's going on in the macro environment. 
Um, and I, I feel that strongly about all of our companies. Um, but this one has you know, probably the most explosive upside because even if the share price is 10 times where it is, it's not that expensive you know, from a strategic perspective. You know, companies with trillion dollar market caps can spend 10, 20, 30, $40 billion buying a company that's this right. important to their future and to everyone's future. Right. Almost cheap for them, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and look, I mean, and, you know, don't take my word for it. Like governments know this. Yeah. <laughs> the Biden administration is putting a lot of money to work in quantum computing and machine learning. And so are the China, you know, so is China. And so is anyone that, you know, that can invest in this because it, it's, it's critical to nations, obviously. Mm-hmm. Great. Critical to our competitiveness. Great, great. Well, Nicola, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, go check out IonQ, super exciting. Um, votes at the end of the month, I think September 28th. Uh, Nicola, really appreciate it and uh, hope to talk to you again soon and, and, and keep watching DMY and, and all your success. My pleasure. To many more, sir. Have a great day. You as well.